Welcome to Hot 97's Street Soldiers, the hottest talk on radio. Hosted by Lisa Evers. I'm so glad you're joining us for this episode of Street Soldiers. We're talking about Flashpoint Ferguson, the Eric Garner case, and police versus the community. I'm your host, Lisa Evers. Follow me on Twitter, at Lisa Evers Instagram, Lisa Evers Live. And on Instagram, you can hit me up, and uh, we'll be taking your questions off Instagram as well. Now, after many days of clashes between police and protesters, the streets of Ferguson are calm now as the family and loved ones of Michael Brown prepare for his funeral tomorrow. From an independent autopsy, we learned that the unarmed teen was shot at least six times with one bullet to the top of his head, most likely when he was bent over. Forensics also showed he could very well have had his arms up when the police officer was shooting. Now, here in New York, thousands of people peacefully took to the streets on Staten Island yesterday to demand justice for Eric Garner, who died from an apparent uh, chokehold while police were trying to arrest him. The NYPD Staten Island commander says there were no viol- there was no violence of any kind and there were no arrests. Assistant Chief Edward Delatori credits weeks of communication and groundwork with community leaders and march organizers and the use of marshals. The police actually allowed marshals from the National Action Network and the Nation of Islam to be there working with them and to be in some of those frozen zones to help the crowd along. The police were in golf shirts most of them we did not see any helmets we did not see batons we did not see police on motorcycles or mounted on horses as we typically do at the large demonstrations and it was very clear from the way the NYPD was interacting with the crowd and actually in the crowd that they were trying to make a very strong statement and a big shout out to all the street soldiers listeners who were there Uh, Some of the people who came out for our Push for Peace in Brooklyn were there. I saw you. People watched me on Fox 5. Thank you for all of the love. And I think everybody together yesterday here in New York, because there were a lot of concerns about stores closing and there being the potential for uh, violence with that many people there. You know, New York, we really showed the world that differences of opinion can be voiced in the American tradition without using violence and that the community can really have an impact on how police police our streets, which is an important issue that we're going to be touching on, especially since President Obama now says he wants his administration to take a closer look at the militarization of police that we saw in Ferguson. But now that the protests are mostly over, where do we go from here? We've got a great panel to break it all down for you about what comes next and to answer some key questions because the protests may be over. Uh, The funeral for Michael Brown is taking place tomorrow, but there's many, many questions that remain. And what's going to come this is this going to be another one of these situations or periods that we go through where everybody's all up in arms everybody's very upset there's all kinds of activity on social media about this people are in the streets and then nothing really happens and nothing really comes of it or are we at a major turning point in a modern day civil rights movement where police will be interacting different differently with the community and where the community will also be interacting with police. Because this week, Police Commissioner Bratton said police community relations isn't just about police doing what the community wants them to do. It's also about the community showing some respect for police officers. We're also going to be talking about hip hop's role in all of this. Uh, maybe you heard the J. Cole song, Be Free. Maybe you heard about other rappers speaking out, other people saying they should have been speaking out a lot earlier. We're going to be taking your telephone calls, 1-800-223-9797. That's 1-800-223-9797. What would you like to see happen to the police officers in these cases, in the Michael Brown case, as well as in the Eric Garner case? Give us a call now at 1-800-223-9797. 
1-800-223-9797. Also, Instagram, at Lisa Evers Live. Twitter, at Lisa Evers. And if you are a police officer, give Rose a call. Let her know when she answers the phone. And we're going to try to get your voice um, involved in this conversation and give you a chance to speak as well. Now, joining us for this episode of Street Soldiers, Charles F. Coleman Jr. He's on Twitter, at C.F. Coleman Jr., a former prosecutor in, in the Brooklyn DA's office. That's Kings County. He's a federal civil rights trial attorney and legal commentator. Charles, thank you for being with us. Good morning, Lisa. Thanks for having me. Also with us is Shaniqua Young. She was in Ferguson. Shaniqua was an attorney as well. She is the Bertha Fellow for Government Misconduct and Racial Justice at the Center for Constitutional Rights. She's been involved in stop and frisk. She's been involved in racial disc- major racial discrimination uh, cases, and this is her area, and we're going to find out what she has to say and what it was like out there. Shaniqua, thanks for being with us. Good morning, Lisa. It's an honor to be here. Thank you. We appreciate it. Thank you so much. Also joining us is Kenneth Montgomery. He's a criminal defense attorney, a law school prof- a law school professor at Fordham. He's a former prosecutor as well, and he also represents the family of Kamani Gray, who was shot and killed by police in Brooklyn. Ken, thank you very much for being Thanks with for us. Thanks for having me, Lisa. Good morning. We, good morning. We really appreciate it. And, um, of course, your telephone call is at 1-800-223-9797. 1-800-223-9797. Shaniqua, let me start with you. What was the attitude that you saw in Ferguson between the police and the people on the streets? Was it as bad as it looked on TV? Well, I think it depends on on. on what you're thinking. I think that the community of Ferguson was reflecting what a lot of us in the in the black American community felt, and that was dismay, that was outrage, that was anger, that was frustration. I think it's important to recognize that Michael Brown um, is simply the tip of the iceberg when it comes to police killings and um, the, the murder, uh, the, the killing of black and Hispanic youth, of unarmed black and Hispanic youth. So I think the atmosphere was one that very much reflects where we are, you know, as a community. I think it um, it was understandable given the fact that, you know, this young man, given the circumstances of the case, a young man was, you know, kind of was, was killed. His body was in the street for four hours um, and the police, the family had no information about what happened. And I think, you know, the, the, the very fact of that, plus the fact that, you know, po- that that lawful protesters were assembled and their rights were uh, their rights were basically taken away to their First Amendment rights were being taken away to 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 assemble. I mean, I think that kind of both the anger at the killing and then the the anger at, you know, the the fact that they couldn't the community couldn't express themselves was completely justifiable. Um, And that's what you that's what you found. Ken Montgomery, take us through what happens to a family when one of their loved ones is shot and killed by police. I mean, it's um you know, it's a it's a horrible scenario. I, I think what people are forgetting is some of the particulars in this case is that this young man was scheduled to start college and he was left on the street for four hours, um, which I see no what the necessity of that. And I think those situations only can become toxic. And um, it's absolutely horrible. There's no words that an attorney can say. There's no words that a civil rights leader or preacher or anyone can say when you've lost a a mother and a father or a brother or sister lost uh, their child to something like this. Because this is what, what I don't think people understand is that this is a scenario uniquely upon us. There's no inverse of this scenario. Black and Hispanic men in these encounters with police die. And um, that's something uh, that you can't address. And there's a lot of emotion. Just think about this family is burying their child some weeks after 
this happen. So very, you know, immediately your child becomes symbolic. It's not even about his death anymore and what happened. And you and the you know, emotional the emotion emotional of pain it. of that. You, you have all these people coming in and 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 you're on it's on television and all these reports and these people they want to see you they want photo ops and and it, it's absolutely horrible. All right, Charles Coleman. The question I got asked on Staten Island yesterday and earlier in the week when I was out there reporting for Fox Five. Why don't these police officers get arrested? That's what people want to know. Well, to start, I think uh, the thing that people have to realize is just because there has been something which is declared a homicide doesn't automatically mean that it is illegal. I mean, the law does provide for circumstances under which people can commit what's considered justified homicide. The other thing that I think from a principle level that, that people have to be cognizant of as realist is when an officer does commit uh, a, a murder or a, a rather a homicide in the course of his duty in a line of duty he's going to or he or she is, is automatically going to be given the benefit of the doubt uh, up front as if this was not illegal but as if this was a necessity created by the circumstance uh, associated with their job so typically what is going to happen is that in, that officer is going to you know be placed off of the street for some time particularly if there's a matter of controversy surrounding uh, the the killing and then an investigation will ensue and if a grand jury does decide to indict then you know the steps will be taken from there uh, but because they are police are, are police officers they're going to be given a certain benefit of the doubt and certain leeway uh, with respect to a homicide committed in the course of their duties that the average citizen simply would not and I, wa- and I want to talk about that in just a moment in a little bit of uh, greater detail but I want to bring in right now Dr. Boyce Watkins he's a finance professor at Syracuse University commentator his website is yourblackworld.net. Dr. Watkins, thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate it. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here. Now, you wrote a column that appeared in your website, yourblackworld.net, where you said the headline was, Ferguson police may want to shoot your son, but rappers want him. To, I'm paraphrasing it, but rapper, rappers want to do it even more? Yeah. Um, you know, my... <laughs> My, my my point with that was to say that that black men we we, we kind of get it from all different directions. Um, uh, I know a lot of black men who fear police, but we also have a lot of black men on the south side of Chicago where I live who also have reason to fear other black men. And my my thought here is that uh, when we talk about dealing with these tragedies, when a young black man is killed, uh, I, I sometimes have uh, trouble understanding why we can become so consumed about one particular death, particularly at the hands of somebody who wasn't black. And at the same time, there are literally dozens of black men around the country being killed by all different kinds of people, black, white, whatever. And those tragedies really get minimized. For example, just two days ago, a nine-year-old boy was shot and murdered uh, in his own neighborhood for no reason, of course, uh, you know, by another black man. And that tragedy really was dwarfed because everyone was so uh, concerned about what happened in Ferguson. So and are you equate, but let me, let me ask you this. So what it sounds like is you're mm-hmm. equating what, what is called, and some people object to this, this term, terminology, black-on-black violence with police community violence or police civilian violence? Yeah, well, you know, I, I don't even really think about it in terms of black-on-black violence. I think about it in terms of the fact that we should be concerned when a black man dies no matter who kills him. So it's not, I'm not really so much concerned about who exactly who does it. I'm really more concerned about uh, who's being killed, who's dying. And I, so I think overall, uh, when we look at our uh, what's going on with, with black men dying for no good reason, uh, we need to really look at the, the holistic picture and stop sort of trying to condense it all 
to this idea that we're only dying because white people want to kill us or because police want to kill us. We know police want to kill us. Uh, we know that they see black men as a threat. We know we're more likely to be shot by police when we interact with them. The, the statistics make that very, very clear. But at the same time, I'm very sick and tired of seeing uh, corporations make a profit by promoting and glamorizing black genocide and getting us to really sing and dance to the beat of our own self-destruction. Uh, that, that offends me just as much as what I saw happen in Ferguson. All right. So do you think so do you think that the the conditioning that people that that people who are not black are conditioned to look at black men a certain way because of hip hop or because of rap music? Well, I mean, if if, if we've got certain people that are that have been brainwashed into, uh, you know, repeatedly telling the world I'm a thug and I'm proud to be a thug. And uh, I shot, another, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm singing a song that says I shot another black man in the head. And that makes me a man, or I'm proud of that. Uh, well, what, what in the world, what other interpretation are people going to really have at that point? It doesn't, we know that this doesn't define all black men, but I think that when we in our community sit and quietly uh, allow this kind of thing to happen, uh, we have to really look at ourselves in the mirror as well in terms of just kind of saying, you know, is there any other ethnic group out here that really uh, celebrates uh, its own, the, the death of its men the way we do? Uh, All right, know, let me let me let me open that up. Any, anybody so, on the panel want to address so this? I, 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 I <laughs> go ahead, Charles. You first. <laughs> I um, had an opportunity to read Doctor Bo- Doctor uh, Watkins' uh, work, and you know, respectfully, I, I kind of disagree in that I see this as an apples to oranges conversation. I mean, I I don't ad- object to the notion of looking at the death of black men in a holistic point of view, but right now. What we're talking about is the murder of young black boys by those whom are sworn to protect and serve us. And that is not the same as the killing of another individual by a regular citizen. These individuals have a higher duty to execute their job responsibilities with fidelity and with the highest levels of integrity and discretion. And when that is abused almost to the exclusion of other ethnicities, there is a problem that needs to be discussed. That is not the time to discuss what hip hop is doing, what Dipset is doing, what Lil Wayne is doing. That is that that's a different conversation. It's an important conversation, but what it does is it becomes a red herring which distracts from the very issue of the fact that our young men are being gunned down by people who are charged to protect and serve us, and that's a problem. And, and I think it's the, the death. What, the concern is that we're, we're talking about the legacy of white supremacy. Uh, young black men dying at the hands of law enforcement in this in this state. Uh, is nothing new. But what I think what you're trying to say is, listen, France Fanon wrote in a book, Wretched of the Earth, he explained the example of why there is black-on-black crime. When you um, put a group of people in a in a small area with very limited resources, and then as society evolves, and then there's money to be made, and I give you that, there's money to be made off of um, our um, atrocities through the music. But I think what's missing is you have people like Most Def, you have people like Killer Mike, Andre 3000, uh, MF Doom. There's all kinds of artists out here that speak to what's going on and have a cool factor as well. It's just not these pop culture figures that we all seem to have fell in love with. But that's not the issue. I agree with Charles. The issue is we should be concerned with any death. But honestly, the 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 legacy of 
white supremacy in law enforcement isn't just in the in the law enforcement area in the spectrum of music it's in the spectrum of entertainment it's even in uh our, our everyday lives so i think doing that has a as a way of antagonizing and as charles said being a red herring which i don't i think we need to be focused on what the issue is at hand okay dr Watkins, let me give you a chance to respond and then we got to move on because we got a lot of phone calls here well, you know, first of all, when you talk about people uh, who are supposed to serve and protect the community, serve, particularly serve and protect people of color, young black boys, uh, there's nobody who has a greater obligation to serve and protect young black boys than other black men, uh, even above and beyond anybody else. We're supposed to protect our children from the police. So uh, I, I can say that we should all be offended when any black man is convinced by a big corporation to uh, to promote death and genocide amongst his own people. That, that's the problem. Now, when you talk about discussing the issue at hand, uh, I agree with you. I, uh, you know, a, a couple of weeks before that happened, before Michael Brown died, uh, we were pushing very hard, Dr. Cornell West and I, were pushing very hard to get people to join us in October in a month of resistance against police terror and police brutality and mass incarceration. I did a campaign last year with Russell Simmons on the very same thing. And one thing I can tell you is this. Uh, people were not very excited about speaking up on behalf of police brutality, on police terror, or actually being actively engaged in fighting the issue until Mike Brown died and suddenly became trendy to protest again. So the real test is going to be, in two weeks, are we still going to be as diligent about following up on this issue as we are right now? Uh, and, and then I would say in terms of white supremacy, there's really no greater evidence of white supremacy in America than the fact that we have black men who are being paid and, and convinced to celebrate the death of other black men the way they are. So, uh, it, it, you know, we got Agreed. the most deaths. We got the killer mics. You know, those guys I respect. I love killing Mike. We are friends. But then you you, you, you don't really, he'll kill Mike on the radio the way you should. And no, you hear, the, you hear, you hear, the, you hear the president's favorite MC. You hear the, free, you hear, you hear the MCs that we celebrate constantly that, like you said, corporate America has, has lied in bed with them. And, uh, you know, there is no other balance. Correct. All right, all right Dr. Watkins, I want to I want to thank you so much for being with us again. We appreciate it. The website is yourblackworld.net. Always some thought-provoking ideas and lots of interesting information there. Thank you so much, Dr. Watkins. Thank you so much for having me. Have a all, good day. All right, you too. Let's go to Ferguson, Missouri right now and uh Dr. Stephen Bradley. TJ, what line is he on? We got the phone lines are going crazy here. Um Dr. Bradley? Yes. Thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Now, are you there in Ferguson right now? Uh, I'm just outside of Ferguson, yes. All right. And tell us, what is the mood like there today, and what's it been like this weekend? This weekend, it's been a little bit different than it was uh, the days before. Part of that has to do with the fact that there's been some uh, de-escalation with regard to the police. And and just to speak to to that segment before, listen, uh, there had been police repression before there was any rap music whatsoever. So after (laughs) after black people finished with (laughs) slavery... Uh, then Very soon after. there was a push to find a place for black people prison. and prison and jail became yep. that place. And so, uh, so to speak to that, anyhow, uh, in being out on the streets, uh, uh, you know, maybe, uh, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, uh, in contrast to this weekend, uh, things are different. Things are much different in a way. And in, ter- in terms of the, the attitude with the police, have the police been interacting differently? We saw this tremendous militarization that drew the attention right. of President Obama, these horrible images of military on the streets. Um, has that subsided? 
Uh, well, yeah, yeah, it has in a lot of ways, and that's in part because uh, because somebody is getting smarter. Uh, the way that they came out, the way that the police came out in that militarized way uh, was a recipe for disaster. Uh, and so that's why uh, I work with a group called the Young Citizens Council, uh, and everybody's pumping their website. So go to don'tshootmode.com. And one of the things that we talk about is the idea that, that it, may not be, it may not be a coincidence that, that you can police a group of people in such a way. I think that uh, a lot of people in America ought to send uh, the black people in, in Ferguson a, a, a thank you note for mm-hmm. showing them just what's possible oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. with regard to the police uh, force and the way that uh, the police approach communities. And so that's why we need uh, we need some kind of community training. We need these police to live in the municipalities where they police and, and that sort of thing, because it's totally obvious. It's very obvious that uh, that the police saw. Uh, peaceful protesters as threats, as threats to them uh, personally, and uh, and that's 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 not the way America should be. No, uh, and, and it was a totally. And, and Dr. Riley, I want to thank you so much. We have to move on, but and that was a different picture that we saw yesterday in uh, Staten Island but, for the Eric Garner but look, march. Look, but that's just a, a smaller county. The Pentagon has a program where they've been providing. The surplus weapons. Military equipment. But, but pre- the president wants that looked at right yeah, now. Yeah, he so. wants it looked at, but the, the, the jig is up already. They have the they have the personnel. They have the weaponry already. So looking at it, I'm not sure what that means. But Well, they had a system, Department of Defense. You could basically, like you'd order shoes online yeah. you could or clothes Listen, online. You could go and, order a tank. And or, I've, spoken to, I've spoken to a couple of police officers about that. And one of the things that they say is, you know, this is the result. Their their sort of line is that this is the result of federal taxpayers, or I'm sorry, federal uh, legislators not giving enough financial support to police for, to local municipalities in order for them to you know properly sustain their police forces in the way that they should and so this sort of program by the DOD is just a back door in order to get those materials all right let me uh, let our listeners know we're going to get to the phone calls people are people are so frustrated getting through on the phones they're hitting me up on every single possible platform and, and to all my friends personal friends and family trying to get through you're just gonna have to wait I'm sorry we gotta let the listeners in first but I want to bring in professor Gloria Brown Marshall she's been with us here on Street Soldiers before. She is a professor at John Jay College and author of the book Race, Law, and American Society, 1607 to the Present, and other books like The Constitution and African American Context. And uh, Professor Gloria Brown Marshall, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you. Good morning. And um, when you see what is going on in Ferguson, when you see what happened in Staten Island and the attitudes towards it, the are there are there certain things that we're not looking at yeah, I don't think we're looking at the fear factor. And the fear factor, the, the fact that a police officer has a split second to make a decision whether or not they need to pull the trigger. And this is like causing the, the communities to come up in uproar. And I'm so glad this happened in Ferguson because that fear factor, if the police officer is going into the situation thinking that black men are more fearful than any other group, then they're going to be more likely, in my estimation, to think I have to use deadly force. And I'll give you an example. On Tuesday of last week in Missouri, there was a white man, his name is is Elders Williams, who was carrying a rifle, and here he's carrying a rifle, and police see him, 
people not put the rifle down, what do they use? Tasers. Tasers. That same day, there is a young black man with a mental illness who was shot by police when he had a knife nine times and killed. killed. And in that instance, that same day, during all the protests of Ferguson, so we need to look at this fear factor of this historical propaganda of black men being more criminal-like and, and, and more dangerous than other people, and therefore when we have a trial, if we ever get there, then the jury is like, oh yeah, I can see the officer reasonably feared for his life because, and it's unknown, it's unsaid, the elephant in the room is because black men you know, cause more fear than other people. All right, what, Shanique, would you want to say something on that? Sure, I mean, absolutely. I, I completely agree with that, that this is a problem of implicit bias, that that the starting point is this these per, these conceptions of how black and Hispanic people are more likely to commit, the propensity, are more likely to commit crime, are more likely to be violent, and these perceptions are completely unfounded. For example, in Floyd versus the City of New York, a, a class action lawsuit that CC, the Center for Constitutional Rights That was litigated. the stop and frisk, that's yes, one that changed yes. the whole stop and frisk mm-hmm. policy. This, right, a judge found that um, that that black and Hispanic people were targeted for 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 stops and frisks. That black and Hispanic people were more likely to be stopped and frisked. And that neighborhoods that have that the the racial composition of a neighborhood was more likely to be the predictor of where stops and frisks happen. And I think that has to do with a both um, the an internalized belief about black and Hispanic people and their likelihood to commit crime, and also the fact that that that. Black, that officers are directed to neighborhoods, mm-hmm. to black and Hispanic people, um, to to conduct law enforcement activity, and I think that's that's obviously and, a huge problem. And the system tried to demonize Judge Shinlin for that, and there was reports that in many precincts uh, in Brooklyn and across the city that if these officers came back with, let's say, hipster arrests, their commanding officers was like, take that back. That's not real. I, and, and, and that's and it, the it was it was that re- Professor Gloria Brown Marshall. Is there also a difference between because these cases? And I'm just raising this because this is what people are saying, and we d- we don't have a police officer on this panel today. The is there a difference when an unarmed teenager or an unarmed man, a black a man of color, is shot and killed by police, and there's no crime being committed, like an Amadou Diallo situation, like a Michael Brown situation, versus something where there's a chokehold death in the uh, during a misdemeanor arrest with Eric Garner or Kamani Gray, where they said that he had a gun and he pulled a gun on the officer and they produced a gun that he allegedly had? Is there is there a difference in your mind legally? Legally. People, at the end of the day, the person is dead. That's one. Second, if you change the race and say, if that were a white person, would it have happened in that way? Would it have followed through in this way with this officer making that decision? Third, and this is what brings the eruption of Ferguson, can we trust the the criminal justice system to give justice in the end? And in the Amadou Diallo case, the officers were acquitted. In the chokehold case with Eric Garner, the officers, or a few officers, are saying that was not a real chokehold. You're going to believe your lying eyes or what we're saying to you. <laughs> and then, of course, we have uh, the Michael Brown case, and now with all the video, all of the witnesses, they're saying, no, there's this one Josie person out of the woodwork saying, no, he was lunging for him. So the fact is, will we get an indictment? Perhaps. Will the indictment lead to a trial? 
We don't know. If it does, will the officers actually face justice if there's justice to be done? And the, and the communities have said enough already. We're seeing all these things, and we're not getting our justice. It doesn't matter how the person is killed. Somebody's family member is gone. I think that- All right, Professor Gloria Brown-Marshall, we got to take a short break. When we come back, I, I promise, Gus, Derek, Don, Mike, Michael, everybody else on hold, we're going to get to your phone calls. And if you have comments, just go on Instagram Live, at Lisa Evers, under the picture TJ took there of us in the studio. Post your comments. And I'm going to try to read those because the phone lines are going crazy. Professor Gloria Brown Marshall, thank you so much for being with us again. She's at John Jay College. Her book is Race, Law, and American Society, 1607 to the Present. And let me let you know, Hot 97's On the Reggae Tip Weekend is here. We're moving the concert outdoors for the first time ever. Weather's going to be amazing this Friday, August 29th at the new Pier 97 on the Hudson River, hosted by the one and only Bobby Condors, the one and only Jabba performing live, Shabba Ray. Thanks, Shaggy, Beanie Man, and many, many more. Made hot by Nutriment and SIG headphones. You're listening to Hot 97 Street Soldiers. I'm your host, Lisa Evers. Twitter, at Lisa Evers. Instagram, at Lisa Evers Live. Phone lines, 1-800-223-9797. We'll be right back. Ero in the mornings, always having fun with my favorite artist. Jesse J. I drink very rarely, and if I do, everyone would know about it. <laughs> Which right. is why I what don't happens? drink. Right. Like, just to get really like, yeah, crazy. I'm crazy anyway. Yes, I've heard. Like, what and is I'm, your crazy? Like, you scream. Like, I'll run enter around. a dutty whining competition and yeah. I shouldn't. But yeah, I do it on stage and I'm always like, should I? Probably not, but I just do it and then I'm doing it and then I've done it. Ebro <laughs> in the morning. The entire interview right now. Hot97.com, baby. Hot or ice. Just the same price. Why do you keep singing that? Because McDonald's has any size hot or iced coffee or sweet tea for just a buck. Say I want a medium hot McCafe coffee on my way to work, just a dollar. Cool. Or if I want a small caramel iced coffee, just a buck or even a I look. get it. I get it. It's any size hot or iced coffee or sweet tea for a dollar. Any size hot or iced coffee or sweet tea for just a dollar. There's something for everyone to love at McDonald's. Prices and participation may vary. A la carte only. Hot or iced. Man, she got that stuck in my head. Man, I'm going to McDonald's. How do you take your coffee? Uh, bacon, griddle cakes. Huh? Egg, cheese, one sugar. Oh, you want a bacon, egg, and cheese McGriddles with your coffee? Yeah. <laughs> well, what'd you do without me? I'd be sleeping. What? I mean, you complete me. There's something for everyone to love at McDonald's. Grab your favorite breakfast sandwich, or for a limited time, get two sausage McGriddle sandwiches for only $3. Prices and participation may vary. See store for details. This goes out to all the constituents who spent the last two years rallying to bring back Burger King chicken fries. To at Kelsey Jones 1, who implored, is this a sick, twisted joke? Bring back those chicken fries. And to at Han Rich, who posted, how dare you? Hashtag devastated. And to at Lorey Zeladon, who wrote, I am going out of my freaking mind without hashtag chicken fries. We thank all of you for your unwavering support. Because of you, chicken fries are finally back at Burger King. Limited time only at participating restaurants. There are things that just aren't great. Like getting to your wedding late Where's Rob? Or waking up with a sudden case of cow Just cut off my toe But the thing that just ain't great The thing that I just really hate Is when my contact lenses have run out Oh no no Never run out run out. Never run out No way It's worse than a diaper packed with sauerkraut I'm gonna hurl With 1-800-CONTACTS, you'll never run out of contacts Download our app and get free expedited shipping 1-800-CONTACTS 
How much better would you look with a brighter, whiter smile? If you've always wanted your teeth professionally whitened by a dentist but haven't had the time or money, listen to this. National Dental Supply is now offering professional whitening gel direct to the public. We're giving listeners of this station a free sample of Pro Gel Whitening Kit. This professional whitener is the same active ingredient sold by many dentists for hundreds of dollars. But when you call 800-401-6620, you'll get a complete Pro Gel Whitening System with everything you need to get a dramatically brighter, whiter smile in just minutes without visiting the dentist. Pro Gel free sample kits will only be available to the public for a limited time while supplies last. Call 800-401-6620 and get a free Pro Gel whitening kit and a whiter, brighter smile now. This free sample offer expires immediately when the sample kits are gone, so don't wait. Call now. 800-401-6620. The Home Depot has big news, as in big new 12 by 24 Forte ceramic tile, a special buy at just 148 a square foot. So let's bring an outdated floor, wall, or budget back to life. You'll also find coordinating contemporary mosaics handpicked to pull together a bath, kitchen, or hallway worth posting about. Let's do this. 12 by 24 ceramic tile, just 148 a square foot. More saving, more doing. That's the power of the Home Depot. U.S. only see store for details. Welcome to State Farm, Mr. Murphy. What do you have there? Metal detector. You mentioned you were going to comb through my auto policy to unearth some hidden savings, and I figured you could use this. Actually, I just meant I'd give you our discount double check. I'd dig through your policy and see if there are some discounts you could be taking advantage of. We find more than just nickels and dimes. Oh, that sounds great. There must be a lot of metal in your desk. It's a metal desk. Always looking for the discounts you deserve. That's State Farm's discount double check. Call 1-800-STATE-FARM and get to a better state. State Farm. Opening the front door after a long day at work. To find the dog let loose. Very loose. All over the living room floor and the kitchen and the hallway. Pine saw. For life's stinky messes, you need Pine Sol. Cleaning what stinks since 1929. My great event, our wedding. Buying new equipment for our business. Planning for college. For a limited time during Wells Fargo's great rate event, we're rewarding qualified customers with a special interest rate discount from 0.25% to 1% on new private student loans, auto refinance loans, and small business, home equity, and personal loans and lines of credit. But hurry, the great rate event ends September 30th. Stop by Wells Fargo or visit wellsfargo.com slash great rate to learn more. Wells Fargo, together we'll go far. Subject to credit qualification, Wells Fargo Bank and A member FDIC, equal housing lender. Bumps to let you see how I get down. Stop at Sansone today and you'll get 5000 off dealer posted price on any new vehicle. If you have a job, they guarantee credit. Route 1 in Woodbridge or SansoneAuto.com. Def Jam Recordings 30-year anniversary concert. Thursday, October 16th at Barclays. Tickets on sale now. Yo, what up, people? This is Common, and this is Street Soldiers with Lisa Evers. Real issues, real politics, and real people. Only on Hot 9-7. People, baby. That's right, the people, baby. Welcome back to Hot 97 Street Soldiers. I'm your host, Lisa Evers. Twitter, at Lisa Evers. Instagram, Lisa Evers Live. We're talking about Ferguson. We're talking about the Eric Garner case. We're also talking about police community relations. Is it police 
versus the community, or is it now police and the community? After the peaceful march we saw yesterday in Staten Island, thousands of people, not a single incident, not a single arrest, and uh, police basically in golf shirts out there working with the community and actually having meetings for weeks in advance before all, all of this happened. So what we're doing now, this half hour, we're going to take some phone calls. We're going to focus on the future of what happens as we move forward with this with this case. And Charles Coleman, Attorney Charles Coleman, one of the questions I keep getting asked also is, does a police officer ever pay when he commits a crime? You know, I think the thing that is, is somewhat surprising to me about this is what, what one of the things that, that people don't understand about the frustration in Ferguson and then also the sort of outrage and frustration across the country is that our community doesn't even really know what justice looks like when you're talking about the abuse of discretion and killing of black boys by police officers. We have seen over and over again, if these officers are indicted, if they go to trial, that they usually walk. Sean Bell's kills, Sean Bell's killers, they went free. Amadou Diallo's killers went free. You know, uh, George Zimmerman obviously went free. While he was not a police officer, what we have seen, however, is this repeated pattern of individuals being able to murder black boys, black men, and they end up going free. I mean, especially on a criminal end, we don't necessarily even know what that looks like. Typically, you know, even when there is a conviction like you had with Oscar Grant out in San Francisco, the young man from whom uh, the movie Fruitville Station came, you know, the hammer isn't dropped. You know, that's it's it's not as though you violated a black body and now we're going to throw you under the jail. So our community, even when we get justice, even when we get a, a, a conviction, we're for to deal with and digest what I like to call piecemeal justice because these are halfway convictions if we even get them at all. Kim Montgomery, what about for the families in terms of usually we see these payouts and not much else? I, I, you know, I am an attorney. I I practice civil rights and criminal defense. Um, The family most times are left with only a civil situation. The government usually does not indict, does not present the case to the grand jury unless there is some popularity of the case, which what we have now in Eric Garner and Ferguson. But there are many young black deaths and Hispanic deaths that have happened across this nation where the district attorney has decided not to present it before a grand jury. Um, I can't speak to that. But in Staten Island, uh, that's a unique, that's a very he, unique situation. And he says why. he is going to put it to Me a grand Charles jury. Just, we were just talking about that. Well, let's talk about it. He's putting it to a grand jury. But anyone, us in the legal community in New York, we know that Donovan would not have a backlash from his constituents if there is not an indictment. The only thing that that sort of the only caveat to that and Ken and I were discussing in other words I want to make clear the people of of Staten Island did not put Donovan in there to prosecute cops that's right that's right and and, and Ken is absolutely correct the only caveat to that is this is a case that has become so high profile that the, the one sort of saving grace might be that if there is no indictment there will be I think backlash from the surrounding communities in New York that will be willing to pump uh, money and funding into an election to get Donovan out of to change away now, uh, Shaniqua Young with the uh, that Center won't for change Const- the constituents who live in Staten Island. Oh, no doubt. <laughs> okay, but let me ask you this: in terms of the overall picture, the NYPD, the entire 
city. Shaniqua Young, you've worked closely studying the police, involved with these cases. We saw, as I keep mentioning, because it was a huge change. I've never been at any march or public rally in New York City ever, period. As, you know, as a reporter where I have seen that kind of interaction between the police and the community and the respect and just the whole attitude. And guess what? You know, newsflash, it turned out to be super peaceful. And then also earlier this week, we saw um, his, his eminence, Timothy Cardinal Dolan, convene at his private residence. Uh, religious leaders across the board, imams, uh, uh, the Jewish leaders, the priests, all of that, along with Reverend Al Sharpton, Commissioner Bratton, the mayor, coming together, sending a signal. Is this PR? or is this progress? Hell yeah. Sorry. <laughs> well, sorry. I mean, I think and I think one of your uh, callers talked about this is that the militarization of the police force provokes a violence re- violent response. And I was actually part of a peaceful protest in Ferguson that was tear gassed by the police. And I think the violent reaction in Ferguson is directly attributable to the presence and the force used by the police. And I think that yesterday's march, as you rightly indicated, is proof that there's a better way to do policing. And that's community based policing. That's that's policing that works with 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 community members to solve problems. So I think that I, I I think if it's something that's institutionalized, it could represent progress. But there's also the the problem of, of recidivism if if we don't manage a way to to make this policy a, a permanent one. All right, we're going to bring in Kevin Powell from BK Nation in just a moment. But let me just take one quick call here. Let's go to uh, Derek from New Jersey. Derek, hi, you're on Hot ninety seven. Go right ahead. Hey, Lisa, love the show. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening. Uh, yeah, my question pretty much stems off of what Professor Brown was saying. Why is it that the police tend to, their, their first weapon of choice when it comes to a potential suspect of color is a gun, as opposed to white individuals, they'll use a taser or a baton or even pepper It's the legacy of white supremacy. Okay, what about that? That's the legacy of white supremacy. We, The police have always taken a paramilitary stance against us, and like the doctor said, Soon after slavery ended, the the movement was to incarcerate young black men for spitting on a sidewalk, for loitering, you name it. And there's a less our our lives are not valued. What we're dealing with is in when you're talking about law enforcement's interaction with communities of color is an over policing of communities of color across the country. And part of that simply reflects a mindset that we are a people that simply needs to be controlled. And so that's why you see a higher level of aggression, uh, uh, more incidents where discretion is abused because that reflects a mindset. And until unless and until law enforcement has equal penalties that deal with individuals who violate black bodies unjustly, we will continue to see that. We cannot legislate a mindset. We can't legislate uh, how someone thinks or tell them what it is that they should believe. But as officers of the law, what we can and should be about doing is providing equal protection and punishment when those black bodies are violated. All right, let me let me bring in uh, Kevin Powell here, writer of, uh, I think, a li- about a dozen books now, um, commentator and uh, founder of BK Nation, Kevin Powell. Kevin, thanks for joining us. We appreciate it. Uh, good morning, Lisa, and good morning to everyone. There. What's up, Kev? Uh, great show. I've been Kev, what's going on? Thank you. In, uh, Missouri, and uh, as soon as I got off the plane yesterday, went right to Ferguson, uh, right to the spot where Michael Brown was killed, and there were uh, rallies going on, very peaceful rallies going on. Uh, myself, I was there. Brother Hill Harper was there, and uh, quite a few other folks just paying our respects. And, uh, you know, it was incredible to see people from all over the country uh, still coming out. Uh, Shanik was quite right that, um, you know, and other folks that a lot of the, um, the tense, militarized police presence 
has definitely died down. But given the fact that the grand jury, which has been selected, is six white men, three white women, one black man, two black women, uh, and they're saying it's going to reflect St. Louis County demographics, where the population is about 70% white and 25% black people. If the verdict, if, if, this, if this officer is not indicted, if the verdict comes back unfavorable to the family, to the community, I can pretty much guarantee that we're going to see unrest again, probably on the level we saw in Los Angeles uh, with Rodney King back in 92, and I was certainly active around that. So I just need to say that first and foremost, we need to keep pressing from all over the country and internationally uh, for justice, because as your guests have so eloquently said, this is not some isolated incident. This is a pattern of systemic abuse of, 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 of certain forces against communities of color. And it's not just black men. We have Renisha McBride, a black woman in Michigan, Mary McCarry, who's killed by a police officer in uh, uh, Washington, D.C. a year ago, and the family got no justice. So there has been this, this wholesale attack, and it seems to have gotten worse during the Obama years, this illusion of post-racial America, uh, of, of just want random uh, uh, aggression against people of color. Uh, and, you know, we're talking about a whole system of racism, as Tim Waz and I talked about on the Twitter town hall meeting on, on Friday night that people can find at bknation.org. When you have systemic racism, the same conversations that we're having now, as you well know, Lisa, we had around Howard Beach and Bensonhurst back in the 1980s. We were out there as much younger people organizing and protesting. It's the same thing in L.A. in 92. And, you know, heck, my great-grandfather was lynched uh, in 100 years ago or so, for only land as a black man by by mobs of white people, and so this is a history uh, of racism that this country refuses to address. We keep shifting the conversation. Uh, I don't disagree that we have to have conversations about uh, violence in our communities, but we also got to stop making sweeping generalizations. Uh, you know, Tom Hathi Coates has an article on theAtlantic.com which actually lays out all the evidence of black people who actually protest and organize against black violence in, our, violence in our own communities. Erica Ford right there in Queens, New York, does it every single day. So we even got to be careful of how we participate. Kev, you're, no, exactly. Kev, exactly. Ken, Kev, Kev, you're in Ferguson. Uh, this is Ken Montgomery. How are you? Let, let, hey, Ken, how are you? I'm all right. Let me ask you, do you think, from a historical perspective, this way we've been fighting for the civil rights and the value of people's lives, black lives, is unsustainable at this point, and what we're watching is history evolving where what's been going on doesn't work anymore, so people trying to figure something else out. And we don't know what the new thing is. That's absolutely right. You know, the part of the problem, and I'm just going to say it directly, we've had uh, a leadership that has been very much reaction-oriented. There hasn't been a development of real sustainable strategies. There hasn't been a real training of younger people to be uh, leaders. You have some young organizations out there like the Dream Defenders that are doing great work, but there's huge huge voids there. I even see it here in Ferguson. I was uh, talking with young people yesterday not even knowing basic history. You know, we're talking about the history of hip-hop, we're talking about the last poets, we're talking about, you know, different kinds of tactics. But Kevin, do you take some some comfort? You look look at, and you know know hip-hop, and you know know the whole hip-hop movement and hip-hop generations, because there's now generations of hip-hop. But it's like, you look look at our audience, our Hot 97 audience, it's much more diverse. The the protesters in Ferguson, much more diverse. It's not a black-white issue. It's not a, uh, you know, it's much, people are much more open. Is that what's going to happen 
has to happen. But the thing is, the, the difference, what has to happen, and I'm saying it's all younger people out there, and even older folks that want to be involved in their communities, you have to be serious about not just reacting, but being proactive and picking up the leadership and organizational skills necessary to sustain movements. Otherwise, it's just like a script that we're given every time something happens. Boom, Sean Bell. Like Boom, a reflex. Like it's just the same thing. Kevin, I got to run because we're almost out of time, but I want to thank you so much for calling in uh, from Ferguson, Missouri, and, and appreciate your thoughts and contribution. Can I just say Le- one quick thing, Lisa? Tomorrow we're doing a huge town hall meeting for the community of Ferguson and St. Louis here, and it's going to be live streamed uh, 7 p.m. New York time, 6 p.m. Uh, St. Louis time via bknation.org. We want folks to participate in it. All right, great. Thank you so much. And we forget right, thank Lisa, you. Occupy Wall Street. NYPD, those were mostly white young kids. They totally infiltrated that movement, and they were breaking ankles, breaking wrists, and they moved at a certain force as well. So I, I, it is about us, but I think it's even broader and bigger than that, that people are w- unwilling to, to accept. All right, let's go to uh, George right now from New Jersey. George, hi, you're on Hot 97. Go right ahead. Good morning. How are you? All right, how are you? Now, you're a police officer? Yes, in uh, New Jersey. Okay. Um, I, listen, I, I think your panel has made some very good points. I also, the first caller, I believe it's first caller, the gentleman who, uh, doctor, made a comment about uh, how we, I guess, we're sensitized because, uh, like, from the, quote, not black or black crime, but that's some people call it. As a police officer, I don't feel that we all go into every situation because of the black situation. And you're African, uh, I just want to point out, you're African American, right? Yes, I am. Okay, go ahead. I'm sorry. Um, I don't feel that every time we walk into a situation because it's a uh, black situation that we're like, oh, we're at instant, you know, we have our guard up. But I found that as a black officer, I've been, the black community has been more aggressive because, well, you're supposed to understand this. You're supposed to understand the situation. I don't think it's that cut and dry. I also feel that people from, from the movies and from television, people assume, you know, they look at cops as, well, why didn't you just shoot the gun out of his hand? Why didn't you just shoot him in the leg? Why didn't you just wound him? Well, first of all, that's not, then it, you shouldn't, we wouldn't use that kind of force if it wasn't, you know, you can't use deadly force to stop someone from yelling at you. Um, obviously, if in this situation, like I I don't know all the facts, if you're saying someone, there, there is no kind of force and if someone loses their life, there is an issue. But it's not all that cut and dry that we're just going and we're just... Well, why never the inverse, lives. though? I'm sorry, uh, officer. Why, the, why never the inverse? Why do we never hear the, the, the inverse, which is a group of officers of one particular race have shot a young white male? Why well, never the inverse? There was that one case before, in Brooklyn with the Jewish Gideon. Before that, Gideon, Ken, right. if, um, before that, Ken, if I, um, if I may, I have I actually have a, a a burning question that I've been trying to sort of ask some okay. of my friends in law enforcement. I hate to put you on the spot, officer, but where is the outcry? Where's the discussion from the community of black law enforcement on the police force about this continued behavior and these continued violations? Because I feel like what ends up happening is. Our community would like to give law enforcement, particularly those who look like us, the benefit of the doubt. But what we don't feel is that you all have our backs when these sorts of blatant violations. Are you saying they should give you black officers should give black citizens a pass? No, no. What I'm saying is is that when these sorts of incidents happen, it feels like the black the community of black police is silent and that they're one in the same with the blue blue wall of silence. And that breeds further mistrust from people in our community with respect to black law enforcement when 
you know, folks can't even speak up and say, hey, this was wrong and should not have happened. George, what about that real quick? Because well, uh, I'm running out of time here. Okay, I'm sorry. I don't, because I don't believe it's, obviously there are situations that it does happen. It's not as broad a pattern as people make it sound. So I don't think black officers as a group are going to say, okay, well, we're going to shut this down because it's not as broad as people paint it. I also feel that the community, whenever a white person kills a black cop, there's never, there's never writing in the streets by the community (laughs) saying, how could that happen? That, I, I never hear that. I've gone to... What cases, have, know, what cases have you... Have there been like that in I, our area? Well, I, I'm just saying, through, through history, I'm saying in general, <laughs> when there are officers killed in the line of duty, there's never a rush to... You know, people aren't standing in the street saying, how could that child... How that person kill that cop? How could, you know, I've, I've been to the police wall in uh, D.C. I've been to that memorial. There's a lot of names on that wall. A lot of names on that wall. Right, and we, and we appreciate, and, 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 and let me ju- let me just say here because we because again we don't we appreciate you calling in and we don't have a police officer on this on this panel today, but we we appreciate the sacrifice and the service that the police officers give us who abide by the law and try to protect our community and we're happy when they show up and you're calling nine one one and and something is going down and some of them do pay the ultimate price in the line of duty and their sacrifice has to be rec- recognized and appreciated. But I think I think there's a you know what we're really focusing on here is this pattern of disrespect that ends up you know too often with with the death of an unarmed unarmed young man of color yeah i think that's right and i think that the problem with internalized racism or internalized bias is that you don't even know that it's happening right so officers are using race to decide who to stop officers are using race to decide when to escalate their use of force officers are using race to decide when to use deadly force and and that's complete that may be completely unconscious and so the point i think is to i I think one solution is to have trainings that address the fact that racial bias has infected america it's obvious vestige is in the way that police officers go about their daily bias their, their their daily routine and we need to address the fact that it's it's not would you like to see, i'm sorry to cut you off officers. would you like to see that as part of this retraining that commissioner bratton has ordered of the nypd in the aftermath of eric garner absolutely it racial be, sensitivity training it not more than racial sensitivity training because the nypd has a racial profiling a racial profiling policy policy it has to be a cultural shift it has to be about getting to the root of the problem which neighborhood is, patrol groups neighborhood actually. patrol groups but recognizing the fact that there's a racial problem in america that's been swept under the rug and that it's in, it's it's that the police officers are, are going about their daily routine pursu- pursuant to that racial problem um, and I think that training has to address that all right I wish we had more time for this and I'm sorry to everyone that's on hold Jennifer Dion Michael everybody else on hold I'm sorry we didn't get to your uh, calls money making Mark sorry you couldn't get through on the line there and also I want to thank uh, thank our guests here we've had many excellent guests calling in on the show as well and our, as our guests in studio Charles F Coleman jr former prosecutor federal civil rights trial attorney at C.F. Coleman Jr., Shaniqua Young from the Center for Constitutional Rights, uh, working for Police Community Reforms. Thank you so much for being with us. Kenneth Montgomery, law school professor at Fordham, criminal defense attorney and civil rights attorney, former prosecutor. Thank you so much for being with us. And also, I want to say a, a very big thank you again to everybody that came out for the Push for Peace in Brooklyn last weekend. That was our best Push for Peace show ever. Over 400 people inside, more than 100 turned away at the door, no metal detectors, no wands. We had police officers there, uh, pretty much like they were at the rally in March yesterday, helping keep everything 
orderly and keeping everybody comfortable and making sure it didn't get too crowded and crazy. And uh, thank you very much to Brooklyn Borough Pre- uh, President Eric Adams, his entire staff. Thank you very much to Hashtag Team Lisa, my executive producer, Tone Capone, the one and only Rose D, who was working day and night on that. Amber Ravenel, a producer, also working day and night. TJ, who made the trek out of the studio to get the whole thing recorded and get it on the air. Our digital director, Jeffrey Thacker, sending out the Hot 97 video team. You're going to be seeing video real soon on LisaEvers.com of that amazing event. And all of the sponsors, uh, Metro Plus Healthcare, JetBlue, uh, Monster Headphones, everybody that came out. And also 3-in-1 Events, a uh, locally owned Brooklyn business that did the balloons to try and give it a festive feel so we appreciate appreciate the family and everybody that came out with all the kids and all the love you gave me i'm still on a high from that one let me tell you so thank you so so much and of course our whole team here at hot 97 our program director jay dixon our music director uh we want to wish carly hustle the very best in her new endeavors and thank her so much for all the support she's given us for our community events here at hot 97 our whole hot 97 team we really appreciate that and remember um follow me on twitter at lisa evers instagram lisa evers live this episode of Street Soldiers was made hot for you by Metro Plus Health Plan. Log on to hot97.com slash Metro Plus. Register for your chance to win a trip to Florida. And also, let, I want to let you know I'm going to be following up with this on the Fox 5 News at 6 and 10. If you want to participate in a Google Plus town hall show on this topic after one of our Street Soldiers episodes in the future, hit up my producer, toneforreal at gmail.com. That's toneforreal at gmail.com. We are also beginning to interview right after Labor Day interns for the show, but you really need to be able to work and you need to be able to get up early and really make it happen on a Sunday morning. So if you can't do that, don't even bother us. But if you can, hit up toneforreal at gmail.com, toneforreal at gmail.com. And also we want to let you know about Lay the Guns Down Foundation, Bring the Peace Back, Stop the Violence, Silence Walk is going to be held in Far Rockaway on August 27th. That is Wednesday at 9 a.m. Marching from the Redfern Houses to Arvern Gym. Join us. Um, join everybody for that walk. Lay down the Guns Foundation. That's where we were after the storm and uh, did the big relief effort there with the Knicks and everybody. So big shout out to everybody in Far Rockaway. And check me out on the Fox 5 News at 6 and 10 tonight. We'll be talking about this. And all through the week, Fox 5 News at 5, 6, and 10. Twitter, at Lisa Evers. You can follow my moves. And uh, what's going on with us here? And I just want to say, remember, use your mind. It's your best weapon. I hope it's your only weapon. I'm Lisa Evers. Push for peace. Coca-Cola asked people to ride the new Zoomanjaro Drop of Doom at Six Flags Great Adventure and describe drinking a Coke. Now, anyone could describe the sound of the can opening or the taste